This morning we have two short readings. Can everyone hear me? <laughs> the first reading is Paul writing to Colossians, Colossians 4, 2 to 6. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Our second reading is from 1 Peter 3, 15 to 16. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Thanks be to God. Well, hello. I'm glad that we had the, uh, the sound uh, fixed up on the video. Uh, otherwise, I, I would feel pressure to preach the same way. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> well, today we're starting the four-week series, Surprise the World. And it's based on the book of the same name by Michael Frost. And Frost is a Baptist minister, is the author of multiple books, uh, he's specialist in uh, missional church movement, and he's an international speaker of very great um, rapport. Uh, the subtitle of his book is Five Habits of Highly Missional People. Um, if anyone doesn't have the book yet, I believe that uh, there may be just a few copies left in the, in the office. Um, I've sent um, uh, DVDs with uh, Mike Frost speaking um, to the groups uh, and I've also sent to group leaders a, um, uh, a PDF of the, of the earlier version of the book. So I think you'll enjoy it. So importantly for us at Erina here and for many other churches, uh, Michael Frost simplifies what it means to share our faith in a world increasingly separated from church life. And his book has five main ideas. And one of the amazing things to me was, as I read it, is this really seems something I can do. <laughs> I remember, and you probably do too, when you first became a Christian, that uh, we were taught that, uh, you know, you need to share the word, which is true. Uh, you need to share the gospel, which is true. And we were given these various versions of how we should share it. Um, I think one of them was 99 ways to, to live. Uh, you know, it's quite complicated. And, of course, we were uh, in need of having a very large Bible, which I had, because, uh, of course, you, you use that quite heavily. <laughs> Mine was quite a size, but I was kind. Mine was actually quite well padded. Anyway, back to uh, Michael Frost. 
And he has five main ideas. And these are the, the ideas. Blessing other people. Eating with others, both Christians and non-Christians. Listening to the Spirit and also being aware of the world around us. Learning to be more Christ-like. And understanding, finally, that we are a sent people. And we're a sent people into every area of our lives. I spoke once before in a sermon about us having an identity of being uh, not only pilgrim people, but sent people. That's our identity. And we are happiest when we're living in that space. Frost describes these five principles as bells, B-E-L-L-S. And Frost says this, he said, when I came up with this model, I thought it was just a, a simple idea that our church could adopt to foster missional habits in our lives. And I had no idea that churches around the world would embrace it. And quite frankly, if you go on to, uh, onto your computer and search for bells and search for Surprise the World, you'll see an amazing number of people uh, have taken this on. So we'll be preaching over, uh, on bells for the next four weeks. Growth groups will be studying the book, watching videos on it, and in the final week, as Joel said, Michael Frost will be preaching here to finish the series. So that should be a wonderful time. There's a challenge, I guess, in, inherent in this. Uh, some long time back, I read a book called Evangelism for the Rest of Us. And I think the title itself seems to address one of the issues about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and evangelizing or sharing our faith. Somehow, we've ended up with this split uh, where we feel we all have to be of the same mold. But the title also uh, highlights what we all know instinctively. Most of us want to share our faith, but most of us feel inadequate in sharing our faith. You see, some people are especially gifted as evangelists, aren't they? Uh, just in the last uh, week or so, I shared with uh, group leaders and gave them uh, books that could be used, you know, to find our, our, our gifting. Because when we know our gifting, we're, we're in the right space. We operate properly. But some people are gifted evangelists, and meanwhile, the rest of us, the risk is, end up feeling guilty. So why does the word evangelism cause some people to feel so much anxiety? Maybe the reason is the way that we've seen evangelism modeled. The authors of Reimagining Evangelism, Rick Richardson, Terry Erickson, and Judy Johnson say this. You see, most people think when they hear of evangelism, as sales, manipulation, uh, TV preachers, white suits, uh, high pressure, big hair, pushy people, <laughs> going door to door, 
I've done that, and one of the people I, I led to the Lord was a witch, <laughs> who said, no, 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 you know, I'm not religious. I said, I understand that, you know, <laughs> but here's a couple of things. And all the other people were very nice, but didn't quite come to the Lord, but the one who was least likely, God said, I'll have you. <laughs> and that wasn't because of any great skill on my part. That was just prepared, I was just prepared to do what was going on. Anyway, so the sales manipulation thing kind of dominates our thinking. It feels intrusive, almost like telemarketing when you're sitting down for dinner. And people in the church even are not excited or engaged uh, many times. And many believers are as uncomfortable with evangelism as the people who are not Christians. On the other hand, when we think of evangelism, this is something that you and I may have thought in the past. We may, we may imagine people who are so amazing at sharing the gospel that once again, most of us don't think of ourselves as gospel sharers. And I'm sure you've been in meetings in churches and rallies and people have said, well, you know, I, I just happened to sit next to this person and I said these few things to them and, and, and lo and behold, they gave their lives to the Lord, you know. Or I was reading this book and somebody leaned over and said, what's that about? And, and you think, that's wonderful. That's wonderful, you know. Or somebody says, I, I, I spoke in front of this crowd and, and, and people came to the front and it was awesome, awesome. And you think, but I don't think I can do that. And as I said earlier, you know, we, we, we tend to feel disqualified somehow. And in reimagining evangelism, they also say this. As Christians, our tendency is to spend most of our free time with people who have similar beliefs and similar interests. In other words, other Christians, for the most part, while spending very little time with those outside of God's family. However, evangelism and discipleship as it leads to evangelism is highly relational. And it says, the time's come to reimagine how we picture and practice sharing good news. You see, because our culture is shifting. Lots of people have had no experience of Scripture, no experience of church. They wouldn't know what goes on in a church. And that's why I'm so encouraged by the people that we have who go into schools. Because it's a chance for people to get the hearing of Scripture. And who knows where that will lead? Who knows? I know a, a fellow who is a preacher these days. And he said there was a Bible class going on in some school nearby where he lived. He had a highly dysfunctional family. Uh, there was lots of uh, drug addiction in his family. There was lots of alcoholism in his family. Uh, there was lots of domestic abuse in his family. Um, and there was nothing, it seemed, special about this young boy. 
But he, just, he, he, he didn't feel that he wanted to go inside this meeting, if he was even invited. And he told me that he sat outside, just outside the door, and as a consequence of that, he heard the gospel. And as a consequence of hearing the gospel, privately, he gave his life to the Lord. And now he leads one of the greatest, uh, biggest uh, churches in the country. How amazing. How wonderful what the word will do if we will only allow opportunities. In his book, Surprise the World, Frost says, when gifted evangelists tell the rest of us that we should behave as gifted evangelists, it unfortunately has a debilitating effect. We look at confident, articulated, theologically trained evangelists preaching in our churches, and we hear the stories of sharing the gospel on the back of a napkin, you know, little diagrams, and, you know, there's a cliff here, and there's a cliff there, and there's a bit in between, and the cross crosses <laughs> over the cliff. and It's, it's a lovely illustration. Um, but sometimes we negate the fact that, that um, some people are really gifted in presenting those things. And the rest of us, we can do it, but we have to... Uh, learn and sometimes it's a little difficult and he says you know when we hear those things we that we can and in fact we should be like them we freeze I know I've done that at times and we know in our hearts we know that we can't be like them but Michael Frost says this he said what if there is perhaps another approach what if evangelists are allowed to do what they do best and for us to cooperate in ways that are both comfortable and effective? He's not saying, let the evangelists do all the work and we'll sit back. What he's saying is, you know, there may be a slightly different task that we have. And he says, have we been getting it wrong? Back to the Bible. What does the Bible actually say? Well, we read earlier the verses, Colossians 4 and, and 1 Peter 3. Colossians 4, devote yourself to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And 1 Peter 3, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed. When I went out with my big Bible, I was not, unfortunately, in those earlier days being very respectful. I was being truthful, and I was trying to do the job, but I was being harsh in the middle of doing that. 
If we find our place within this, what the Colossians and 1 Peter suggests, we will find that we operate much better. And so Frost says this, and I think it's a great thought. He says there's actually in these verses a two-pronged approach to evangelism. That's what's assumed. He said, let's look at these. Number one, evangelists should be bold. Firstly, Paul clearly seems to think that there are certain people in the church who are gifted evangelists. And we know that, don't we? And obviously, Paul places himself in that category uh, and in the, in the Colossians passage. It seems that Paul assumed that gifted evangelists could either be of two types. Uh, a, they're local, like Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, or translocal, like himself, if you like, and a more apostolic. And then there are leaders in the local church, see Ephesians 4, and members in the church as well. But there's also something happening on them as evangelists. For these people, Paul asks his church to pray for two things, and we've just heard them in the scripture we read. Number one, opportunities. Pray that God may open a door for our message. And secondly, clarity. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly. And here's the challenge for our church. Have we identified the gifted evangelists within our midst? Because there will be gifted evangelists in our midst. And I believe that as our church continues to mature and grow in all dimensions, that we will begin to identify even more clearly people within our midst who definitely have a special gift as evangelists. But according to Frost, it seems Paul did not believe that all Christians bear quite that same responsibility of bold proclamation to which he was called. While evangelism is essential gifting for all churches, it is, it seems, not given to everyone. Otherwise, he would have encouraged the Colossians to pray for opportunities and clarity for themselves as well. And he doesn't actually do that. He asks for something slightly different from them. And this leads us to look at Paul's second prong of evangelism. And this is, what does he think the rest of us should be doing to share Christ? This is something highly, highly relevant for almost every one of us here. What does he think? Well, he calls evangelists to be bold. And secondly, he calls the rest of us to be what Michael Frost calls questionable. He calls on us to live questionable lives. Now, he's not saying that we should live... Uh, quirky lives, or lives that are uh, unseemly, <laughs> or lives that are, are wrong in any way. What he means when he says questionable lives is that we will live our lives in such a way that we elicit questions from people. While Paul sees the gifted evangelist seizing every opportunity boldly and proclaiming the gospel as in Acts, it appears he thinks the contribution of the average believer to make evangelism is the answers that we will give to the opportunities we get. 
And it appears that Peter agrees. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you have a hope in your life? We need to be clear about that first. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And because of that, an offer has been made to each and every one of us. Um, I hope that everyone here has received that offer. Uh, but if not, the offer is open. It's still open. Act while the offer is still open. And God is saying, come to me. Jesus is the way to come to me. And the way that you do that is to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, to say, Lord, here I come. I am yours. Show me the way. In Surprise the World, Frost says, the believer's function was to pray like crazy, to conduct themselves in word and deed in such a way as to provoke unbelievers to question their beliefs and enter into an evangelistic dialogue. And when he says provoke, he doesn't mean that you slap them around. He doesn't mean that you be rude to them. <laughs> he doesn't mean that you get a water gun and squirt them and say, <laughs> I want to talk to you. He means that, you know, through being an interesting person, through showing some elements of what you believe in, in your conversation, the salt in the seasoning, if you like, that questions should automatically arise. The primary contribution, as I said, um, is to live questionable lives. And he uses these words, intriguing, surprising. And here's the central issue to consider. We're all doing it wrong if no one ever asks us questions about our lives. I had a conversation in the foyer just earlier, and I said one place that I, I worked, it seemed like they wanted to be approved by the world in the, that particular church. And they had moved so close to the world that we lost, we couldn't determine what the difference was. It could have been like any other club. <laughs> and there wasn't that, that difference. And I suspect that for that to have occurred, it must have occurred in individual lives as well, otherwise a church won't get to that point. So let us be different. So he says it's like two blades of the scissors. The biblical model that he sees is church leaders to identify and equip and mobilize those who are gifted evangelists with gifted evangelist leaders taking the primary responsibility for that and to inspire all believers to live what he calls questionable lives. If all believers are leading the kind of lives that evoke questions from their friends, then speaking, faith-sharing will become much easier. It, opportunities will abound. So, how questionable, he says, is your life? Does it look like everybody else's? How would people know when you go to the shops, when you're in a conversation for a moment, how would they know that you're a Christian? How would they see Jesus? Does your life look simply legalistic and religious 
and habit-bound? Does it offer no, no real thing beyond uh, of substance, of interest? Is there anything intriguing or surprising about it? And I'm not talking about going around in a onesie. <laughs> that may be interesting. <laughs> it, may, <laughs> it may raise questions. I'm talking about at the shopping, <laughs> the shopping centre. You know, it may raise questions, but um, you know, he's talking about something else, isn't he? So how can we be more questionable? Let's consider making it a project of ours to be more surprising in that sense to our neighbours. Michael Frost suggests five ways that we can all live more questionable lives. But today I want to briefly look at just one, and that is blessing. And if you're reading the book, blessing is one of the first things that you'll come across. And it was referred to in the video. You see, in church we use the term bless a lot. Bless your brother, bless you, bless your sister. You know, and we, we think for a moment, we're, we're, we're reminded that the Bible says to us, don't just go around saying, you know, bless you. you know, if you have a, a, a really authentic Christian life, you'll do more than just say, bless your brother or bless your sister we'll actually start to care for people in practical ways. But it's interesting that, have you ever thought what blessing really means? It comes from an old English term. And the term means to add strength to another's arm. To add strength to another's arm. The vision that I, the picture that I have in my mind immediately is the battle in the Old Testament where Moses was uh, on the hill and, uh, and things were going on for longer than expected <laughs> and the arms were feeling mighty heavy and he needed assistance to raise his arm. It's almost symbolic of what we need to do towards others. We need to add strength to another person's arm. We need to bless them, to build them up, to fill them with encouragement. Not false statements, not just, you know, things to sort of curry favour with someone, but, but true, authentic, build people up. People, everyone has something that is worthy of mentioning that is good about them. Everybody has something in them that God has placed in them, that God is working through them. And we need to see that, and we need to recognize it, and we need to say in ways that are not false, you know what, I see something in you that I believe God has given you, and I just encourage you in that. I just want to add strength. And in a sense, if your arms, if you're trying to live the Christian life and it feels like your arms are heavy, I can't carry that anymore. We need each other to lift each other's arms, don't we? That's what being together as a body is about. So here's three ways, briefly, that we can bless our unbelieving friends and neighbours. Things like words of affirmation. This is a very simple way to do it. Send them a note. Write them an email. Just text them. Send them some words that are firm and encouraged. That is so doable, isn't it? So doable. 
Mark Twain said, I can live for two months on a good compliment. <laughs> I think I could live a little bit longer even on a good compliment. Let's compliment Joel and Bron on work they're doing and the leaders in the church as well because they put so much into it. And they need encouragement. And they might, uh, a good compliment might take them for two months. <laughs> Michael Frost himself says, a word of encouragement is like oxygen to the soul. How many of you here need oxygen to the soul? I think we all do. Secondly, acts of kindness. Bless others by doing them a favour or providing some kind of practical support. Cut someone's lawn. Babysit for an exhausted mother. Help a neighbour move house. <laughs> you missed your opportunity. <laughs> oh, dear. And gifts. You know, I'm talking about something totally random and unexpected. Nothing blesses someone like an unexpected gift. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be terribly expensive. What these things are saying is, I value you as a person. I'm not trying to manipulate you to do something, but you as an individual are valued by God, and I value you as well. And this is a small expression of that. I mentioned at the beginning a, a book called Evangelism for the Rest of Us, and that was written by a fellow by the name of Mike Bechtel. And it reinforces the fact that the rest of us need to be familiar with the gospel message, and we do need to learn some methods to share the gospel. Because how will we respond to circumstances when the opportunity is there if we're not quite sure how, how to say it? So it's good to have some methodology. Because if we're known only by uh, one or two canned presentations, we'll try to make everything fit, the, every presentation fit every circumstance that we have, you know, well, one, the one presentation. But let's move on from that. He urges us, Bechtel this is, to think of evangelism as customer service rather than sales. And he urges us to be more relational as we share our faith. He says this, relationships are like fingerprints. No two are alike. Think about your own lives. Think about the people who are in close proximity to you as friends and family, um, as a partner, and think about the connection with other people. Each of these relationships that we have have something unique about them. And he says, every relationship I have is based on something that initially drew me and another person together and it forms the basis of our connection. And that means I handle every relationship differently. Different dynamics, different temperaments, different way of communicating. Why do we do that? When you think about it, it should happen fairly naturally. Because they're a different person. <laughs> People are, they have differences. And as we relate to them, we need to recognize that. But the other aspect is that it's also a mark of respect. You know, if, if I relate to one person in a way that I know is relevant to them, it shows them that I care. 
uh, from a, a faith perspective, it shows them that I love them in the love of Christ. They're not just a number. So what do we do if we're shy or reserved? How do you get started on the path of sharing your faith as a natural part of daily life? Well, here's some suggestions from Bechtel. Be around non-Christians. Find ways that fit your personality to become involved in the lives of other people. Now, he's not saying take on everything they do in their lives. He's just saying be around people who are not Christians. You'll find out a few things and you may have opportunities. Be part of a team effort. Realise that we don't have to necessarily do things all ourselves. Be creative. Focus on the objective of leading people to faith in Christ, not in a specific method. As I said before, it's good to have your method. We all need that. We all need to know that Jesus died on a cross, that he rose from the dead, and that there are, there's a path to receiving him, and this is the way that you might choose to do it, because he invites us to himself. But he respects each and every one of us. Another suggestion is be involved. Join a volunteering organisation that meets your passions. It's a great way to reach out to others. Now, you could do that, and there would be no faith-sharing opportunities at all if you're not looking for them. But if you are intentional, and I don't mean beating people up, but if you're intentional about, yes, I'm joining this club and I have some very good friends there, and I'm aware of the fact that God really wants to share something with them. And I'm looking for opportunities, not trying to fake it, not make it false, just looking for opportunities. And dear Holy Spirit, will you please show me those opportunities and how to share. And lastly, he says, be directional. Shift the focus from yourself and onto God. Our role is to point people towards him, not towards us. Step out of the way for a moment and let God do his work. Isn't it a wonderful freeing thing when you take the ego out of it? You know, this is not someone that I'm winning to Christ because I want another mark on the board. You know, I want another victory. You know, this is not spitfire. You know, we're not putting decals on the side of the on the plane and saying, there's another one. <laughs> Wonderful that they come to the Lord, but we're not involved in that. I'd like to go to, just briefly, a couple of uh, items of research that happened during this last week, just this last week. The first is from McCrindle Research, and I think there's a graph there. Now, I want to preface this by saying what, what people perceive they need uh, or what they like, is not always what they need. So if we are totally about meeting people's perceived needs, then we run the risk of not uh, sharing what they need, which is the gospel, which is Jesus. But having said that, I hope you can see that. It's a little bit grey. But from McCrindle Research released last week, there are top attractors to religion and spirituality. And this is the framework that we work within when we're sharing our faith. And then top repellents 
to religion and spirituality. So the, I'll start with the top repellents. And these are the, there were a whole list of things, but these are the strongest aspects of each of these. The top repellents, the strongly repelled, 19% philosophical discussion and debating ideas. 26% miraculous stories. 27% are really put off by public figures and celebrities as examples of faith. Boy, I think of a few advertising campaigns by various organisations, and as I look at that, I think, this is what their advertising campaigns were all about. <laughs> um, take, that to, take that to heart and think about it. The top attractors to religion and spirituality, and th uh, remember that we're talking about the strongest aspects. There's a whole raft of other things beyond that. 16% seeing people who live out genuine faith. That's, I think, just so clear. People are tired of inauthentic lives. They're tired of religiosity. Uh, they're tired of legalism and life that's lived in a formulaic way. What people overwhelmingly want is authenticity. If you believe something, show me how you are living it out. And that just reflects back to what I said earlier. You know, as you're in a club with somebody, they're looking. What are the opportunities? Some of those will be how you're living your life out. 13% experiencing a personal trauma or a life event. Now, many of us, probably most of us, have gone through something in life that was a really deep crisis. And some of you I know have gone through more than one. And at those times, people in this world, in our country, in this state, in this city, at those times, they are more open to hearing something that will redeem their situation. Even something spiritual, even something that has a religious connotation about it. And that's where we have an opportunity that in the midst of crisis, we don't abuse the situation by taking advantage of the person, but perhaps we would just understand that in the midst of the crisis, they want a solution. We know that Jesus Christ is the solution. There's a coming together of needs there. And 12% uh, are uh, strongly attracted by stories or testimonies from people who have changed due to their faith. And this is, once again, something very authentic. It's something that says, you know what, I, I was facing this situation and it seemed impossible but my life changed. I thought there was no hope, and now there is hope. And I'm not putting this on you, but this is how I came through this situation. And how I came through this situation is by God intervening in my life. And I didn't think that that was the answer, but having gone through that process, I now realize that God is the answer. 
Okay, also last week, Baptist Churches New South Wales released its own report that challenged churches to make discipleship and a discipleship culture a priority. And once again, we talked about this in the group leaders uh, uh, area. We know this as Christians, that discipleship is important. But maybe there are some slightly different angles that we need to take on it. And the report from the Baptist Church's New South Wales said this, discipleship is a whole-of-life process taught by an apprenticeship model. Many Christians who have never been discipled themselves feel threatened by Jesus' command to go make disciples. Our role is not simply to impart information, but what we seek is a deep, authentic relationship. We seek deep, authentic relationships. That will bring transformation. Frost's challenge, finally, in Surprise the World is this. He challenges us, starting with the area of blessing people, he challenges us to, to bless three people every week. Makes it, cuts it right down to something quite simple. Bless three people every week. And this is some of the, the guidance he puts on it. At least one of whom is not a member of our church. So immediately we're thinking of someone outside our own church family. Bless them. And at least one of whom who is a member of our church, so that we keep a, a, a balance in our lives. And the third, he says, can be from either category. And remember the words of Paul and Peter that we read earlier. They tell us to be wise as we do this, full of grace, seasoned with salt, full of gentleness and respect. We are not carving notches. We are seeking the good of people. We want to bless them. We will bless them by sending a text or sending a note or a small present. And in the process, we will have the opportunity to bless them with the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which will lead them to life that will never end. We look at Jesus and we see someone who blessed others. He wasn't ashamed of mixing with anyone. No one was outside of his, his friendship circle, if you like to put it that way. He did good things, but if we reduce Jesus to just a man who did good things, we're missing the point. He did good things. He blessed people, but he also shared in the midst of that messages that they could commit to, uh, that, that, that showed that he was life. He was the, we, we did the study. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, Jesus said. So in conclusion, being a blessed does not remove the need to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But in a world that has become much more secular and much more much less knowledgeable about Christianity, personal relationships and kindness create a wonderful platform 
to share our faith effectively. Are you on board with me on that? Yeah. So there's a lot of kindness in what we do, and we will spread that kindness, and we will take those opportunities as God leads us, and we will be aware for those opportunities, asking God to make us aware of those opportunities. Bless you. Thank you. It's a big challenge, isn't it, to, to bless our, our neighbourhood, to live questionable lives, lives that have people questioning why we live this way, and to really surprise our world. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to engage with this series over the next few weeks, to engage with the concept of surprising the world, to help people come to a place where they want to listen, where they want to hear what it is that you have to say through us. Lord, help us to say it. Give us the courage to speak your words. Lord, we pray this in your holy name. Amen. So go out.